cow and cauliflower cheese. Cucumber and cauliflower cheese. Yes. Welcome along to the program, the podcast, the show. Twelve good women and men true on the jury of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, the podcast. You be the judge, but don't be the jury and the executioner, please. Yes, welcome along. It's lovely to be here. Episode 26. Some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today on the aforementioned podcast is different style of scrambled eggs around the world the reality TV turns into a horror story for Britons who want to lodge in Alaska Uh, Didier Raoult, France's Dr. Data claims the new coronavirus strain is less dangerous, he's the one that looks a little bit like Trump's doctor don't know if you've seen the one who looks like sort of an even more disheveled Albert Einstein there's a French version of of, uh, Trump's doctor who's uh, spreading all sorts of uh, prognostications some of them absolutely ridiculous i have to say and then of course anybody who's reading the tabloid press sasha swire's book struck a knife into democracy this is the lady who knew david cameron former prime minister and uh, all of the naughty things he used to say and all those bonking tory parties maybe we'll be looking at that today we'll be looking at britain's dallas man uh, Karen is set to be the most popular costume for Halloween this year. We're going to be looking at the uh, lovely, lovely, delicious chip butty, where you stick a load of French fries or chips in a sandwich, maybe some fish fingers, vinegar, House of a Parliament sauce. Mmm, baby. And the most perfect British advert I heard in the week. I'll be recounting it on the podcast today. And uh, we're going to be always like delving into little different sort of masks that people are using across the world to protect them from this uh, nasty, dirty, umsker and disease that's spreading around. We'll be looking at that as well. Yes, I'm in quite a good mood today, as you may have imagined. And I think part of the reason is I'm not actually wearing any trousers. I have the button down, I have the ascot uh, around the head, is almost as a little um, decipherin soaking up the sweat here, you could somebody squeeze it out into a glass and uh, gargle it if you have a sore throat I think. Um, so there's some of the things, we have as always scallywag darts, looking at the most heinous headline crimes and uh, disseminating them into a sort of darts competition. We have uh, a little bit of uh, Tinder, ancient Tinder. Today we're uh, looking at a rather rascalous politician uh, on uh, on Tincture Tinder today, stepping away from the medieval side. Uh, we have a little bit of poetry, as we always do. We have another English eccentric, and a uh, fireside butler ghost tale. But we do, uh, we do actually uh, have some of the uh, some of the some of the quotes of the week here. And they're coming from uh, such uh, 
esteemed individuals as Paris Hilton and Silvia Berlusconi. So, uh, quotes of the week. I helped create a monster. The socialite Paris Hilton feels responsible for fueling children's obsession with social media, but spends 16 hours a day on herself. If you want respect for your privacy, politics probably isn't the career for you. That's what David Cameron says after the embarrassing revelations in the MP's wife, Sasha Swire's uh, little biography. Once again, I've seen it got away with it. That's Sylvia Berlusconi leaves hospital after being treated for COVID-19 and he survives. Heavy metal. Why does it have to be so loud? That's Robert Halford, the lead singer of Judas Priest, reveals what the Queen asked him uh, during a Buckingham Palace reception. If so, we can bang our heads, Your Majesty, he replied. Uh, And that was a real bit of character acting because Mr. Nice Guy's never been me. It's funny how public confused me with my rom-com roles, says the actor Hugh Grant. Again, settle down into your most comfortable chair. Maybe it's a beanbag. Maybe your posterior is sinking into a beanbag right now and you're trying to keep balance a very uh, fine uh, cup of tea made out of bone china carefully without spilling it everywhere. But I tell you, the way to go for podcasting is not to wear any trousers. It is, it, it is like the Australian cricketers take off their shoes and socks and they feel the earth and feel the grass and feel themselves. I feel the same way about not wearing any trousers. No pantaloons today, people! So, ladies and gentlemen, scrambled eggs. Now, there are many ways to cook it, and I've upset many people over the years, I think, by making uh, my scrambled sensations a little bit too runny. Um, But I saw a lovely piece in the week. Um, It was the best ways to cook scrambled egg. The naked chef, Jamie Oliver. See, he goes the whole hawk. He doesn't just wear, not wear pantaloons. He doesn't wear anything when he's cooking. But outline the three techniques, English, French, and American. Uh, Oliver used exactly the same ingredients for each batch of scrambled eggs. Two eggs per person, a pinch of salt, and a knob of butter. That's a little bit of butter. It's a little little wafer, wafer thin piece of butter. Is a knob. After trying the different versions of scrambled eggs, um, I see what Oliver means. He used two pots, one pan, and a bowl, a whisk, and two spatulas to cook what he dubbed English, French, and American scrambled eggs. Oliver's technique for the English scrambled eggs started with beating eggs in a bowl, seasoning them with salt, and then pouring them into the preheated pan with melted butter over the medium heat. Using a spatula to move the eggs around the pot, Oliver said he stirs the eggs every five seconds to keep them from clumping together. These eggs are extremely quick and found them to be really easy to overcook. After about 50 seconds, I had a pile of finished eggs. Mine came out a bit less creamy than Jamie's, though. Taking a bite, I noticed that they were moist near the top and dry near the bottom, probably the result of the eggs continuing to cook on their own heat after they removed them from the pot. The chef's version of the French scrambled eggs was labour-intensive and significantly more complicated. First, you had to set up a bain-marie, that's a little water bath, of heated water bath, uh, filled a large pot two inches of water and brought them to the boil, then whisked the eggs, seasoned them in a bowl, and then placed them into a pot. Oliver used a glass bowl, um, but uh, you can use a metal one if that's one, one's on hand. Oliver said it would take time and a lot of whisking, but took a couple of minutes to come together using a metal bowl, which is better at conducting heat than glass. The chef described these eggs as having a luxurious texture, but found uh, more wet than velvety. Imagine the practice right next to the bowl could nail down the right, uh, ideal texture. These eggs were tasty, though. They had a rich flavor, but they did feel a bit watered down uh, indeed. 
Um, so the American diner eggs. Here we go. Uh, eggs, two eggs again, beaten, seasoned into a bowl before uh, put into a buttered pan of medium heat. Um, the flavour at a rich, no depth or richness, more reminiscent of scrambled eggs eaten at a diner than uh, that you've eaten at white tablecloth restaurants. Able to retain some of the moisture at the top of the eggs by using the spatula to pull the raw egg from the perimeter of the pan to the center. Most of it's faded away to dryness. Though it took about a minute for these eggs to cook, there's still a little bit more time and attention than the English version. They went from raw to looking fully cooked in seconds. So there we go. You've got the uh, three different styles of... um, of, uh, of, of eggs here. The French style eggs took a lot more work setting up the bain marie um, and then the time cooking the eggs and more pots and pans and utensils to clean afterwards. But if you're willing to dedicate the time to practice the scrambled egg m- method, you might feel the efforts paid off. Um, so that I think was the ones, the French style eggs were the winners, ladies and gentlemen. The Marciers, Le Garnier were the winners. Uh, in uh, in Jamie Oliver's scrambled egg, uh, little beating competition there. So, who would know? Who would who would have thunk it? Three different ways to cut uh, to cook something very 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 similar indeed. Absolutely absolutely fascinating, and um, I think I'm going to have a crack at the French uh, style eggs maybe tomorrow morning. So reality TV turns into a horror story for Britons who won a lodge in Alaska. Farming couple ate bare stew, braved icy water to win a wilderness home, but the owner has now slammed the door on them. When it comes to reality, television prize Win the Wilderness on BBC offered the oddest of the lot. Six couples spent four weeks in the Alaskan wilderness competing for the prize uh, on O.C. Mountain, off-grid homestead 100 miles from the nearest road. Surrounded by bears, wolves, no running water and power, comes from solar agents or generators. Now it seems it's no longer a prize. A 78-year-old owner has a new girlfriend and wants to hang out in it. A farming couple from Warwickshire, Emily Padfield and Mark, uh, scoffed bear meat stew, cleared trails for dog teams through dense Alaskan bush and jumped into icy water to win the homestead in the episode broadcast in February. Their doubtiness convinced its owners, Dwayne and Rena Ose, who'd retired to Minnesota, the British couple were worthy of taking over the three-story a house built over 35 years from 2000 uh, spruce trees, but they were still unfinished. It was brought home to us what might be involved. We were chopping wood and saw bear prints nearby, but we were fine with that. But the couple's dream splendid isolation had gone sour. Whilst COVID-19 travel restrictions mean they're unable to return to Alaska, the pandemic is not the only problem. Arena. Uh, Osi's wife died in May from a heart operation. By the end of the month, Dwayne was in a relationship with a woman called Ellie Mae Blair, whose ages are known, whom he met on Facebook. And they decided that they wanted to keep the house, even though Padfield and Warners uh, were the uh, legal owners. I, you know what? I was thinking about this. So if I was stuck in an Alaskan lodge, what would I need to survive? Now, I, I, I do like a shower, but I could have a tin bath. You know, um, I would need many, many, many uh, PG tip tea bags. Um, and I think I would need a cow because I do need a dash of milk on the top of my tea. That's essential. I think cans of spotted dick for sustenance. Always keep a, spa- a can of spotted dick. You can make the cow milk custard as well. So the creamy sauce to go over the spotted dick. That would be essential in the wilderness as well, I think. Um, I, I would need some sort of steaming iron to press my shirts. 
the ascot, um, maybe the morning coat as well. Starch as well would be vital. I, I just don't know if I could do it, you know. I, I, I don't think I could do it. And um, probably a tea strainer as well. And maybe uh, you could use a, um, a tea cozy that goes on top of the teapot. It's keeping, keeping your head warm during those cold Alaskan frozen tundra months. So Sasha Squire's book has stuck a knife into the democracy of David Cameron's inner circle. David Cameron's clique is in uproar after the indiscreet diarist catty memoir about life as a Tory prime minister's wife. Did she not see this coming? So here we go. We've got a little bit of a rundown here of um, some of the uh, six things we've learned from the MP's wife, the Member of Parliament's wife, Sasha Squire. Here we go. So reflecting on their 20-year friendship, Squire says David Cameron is typical of a certain type of Englishman who no longer knows how to flirt, but they're terrified of causing offence. Looking back on my own younger days, the only person who patted me on the bum on greeting me was David Cameron. Um, May 2010... Uh, George Osborne grabbed Dornywood the grace and favour house usually reserved for the Deputy Prime Minister. He just drives up there, plants his flag, toothbrush to be more precise. Um, Hugo Swire is appointed Minister for Northern Ireland, that's Sasha's husband. Uh, Francis Osborne texts, you must come and stay at the grace and favour house Dornywood. I'll text back and you must come to Hillsborough darling. We're like kids in a sweet shop. Uh, Hugo reported that a meeting of the National Security Council, Gove, uh, Michael Gove went off and went about Libya. And I said, what the hell was he doing there in education? No idea, replies H. But I'm starting to think he's ever so slightly bonkers. Uh, Osborne's 40th birthday party, William Hague, described Osborne's law one of politics. Work out ahead of anyone else who'll be the next leader, stick to them like glue and become indispensable. And then finally, Boris Johnson is a fat, yellow, bouncy Labrador. He longs to be loved and cannot understand when he's not. All right, so here we go. Um, they've introduced in the UK the new track and trace app from the National Health Service. Um, and one of the deciding factors you're not allowed to get too close to people. It's reduced to a party of six. And Matt Hancock, the health minister, says couples in an established relationship do not have to socially distance. An established, in quotes, established relationship. Ministers won't say what counts as an established relationship. So the government actually went to the public to ask what is an established relationship? What allows you to get close to somebody else? Uh, for a little bit of hanky-panky, for a little bit of nookie, for a how's your father, rumpy-bumpy. All right, here we go. So this is this is the poll they did. What counts as being in an established relationship? Uh, please say whether you think each of the following do or do not generally mean you are in an established relationship with somebody. So um, coming in here, uh, we had 42 people said, if you have to meet their parents, we have 51 saying, if you've been dating for three months or more. Uh, 51 saying if you have own a toothbrush at their house. Um, and then we have 58 saying if you have a, a drawer with things in their house. Uh, 60 saying if you have said you love each other. Uh, 66 saying if you refer to them as your boyfriend or girlfriend. 
Uh, 70 saying if your relationship is exclusive, i.e. you're not dating other people. Uh, 72 saying if you've been dating for six months or more. 80 saying if you refer to them as your partner. And 84 saying if you've been dating for a year or more. So here we go, ladies and mantelpieces. The government in the UK commissioned a survey to find out what does an established relationship mean and uh, who's going to be cheating against the rules and saying they're an established relationship when they're not. I mean, does it come to the consummated part? Does it come to meeting the parents? Is it down to the toothbrush being at the house? I ask you, ladies and gentlemen, I refer to the honourable gentleman to the answers I gave some moments ago. All right. Here we go. Here we go. So we have uh, Britain's dullest man unveils the roundabout of the year. Kevin Beresford has spent 17 years at Redditch residence roundabout spotter and he's travelled the country looking for the junction perfection and now his roundabout appreciation society has unveiled their number one for 2020. So the, here we go. We've got the, we've got the, we've got the roundabout He's famous for traveling the length and breadth of the country in search of the best roundabouts in the UK. Uh, Redditch resident roundabout spotter has spent 17 years in pursuit of junction perfection and found the Roundabout Appreciation Society. He describes himself as the dullest man in Britain, regularly creates calendars with pictures of his favorite roundabouts. He's also branched out to other avenues over the years. His latest project is a calendar dedicated entirely to car parks. And these aren't beautiful uh, grassy knolls or anything like that. They are corrugated iron and concrete car parks. Um, And now the self-styled Lord of the Rings, along with other members of the Roundabout Committee, have revealed they've selected their International Roundabout of the Year after a heated discussion over a uh, slightly flat lemonade in a pub in the West Midlands uh, in Redditch. Um, his fascination with the mundane started back in 2003. He's running a small printing company. would give calendars to his customers. For one year, he thought he'd try something different. It's a bit of a joke. He decided to go on a theme of roundabouts. And uh, Redditch has, uh, has plenty of them. Uh, he's been on a number of different shows in the UK, including the uh, Graham Norton show. Um, and after visiting almost countless roundabouts up and down the country, his favourites from the West Midlands include... Spitfire Island in Castle Bromage and one in Tewkesbury that features a wooden horse statue. You know what? I think, young man, you've been having the uh, crust cut off your sandwiches for too long. Um, I don't know if he's still living with his mother, potentially. Uh, but I, I think you sort of need to get a life. Maybe have a shot of tequila and uh, take a bracing walk or something along those lines. So a chef has recently shared his perfect fish finger sandwich recipe. It took him 10 years to create. It's been a labor of love for Rick Panassar from London, and he shared his perfect fish finger sandwich recipe. 10 years to create. A chef with a degree in maths has spent 10 years creating the formula of a perfect fish finger sandwich. He's made up to 15,000 sandwiches and regularly consumes up to 25 fish finger sandwiches a week. The uh, 43-year-old said his mass background and training from leading chefs gave him the necessary insight into fine-tuning his fish finger sandwiches. He set to work identifying the ideal bread-to-fish ratio. The other ingredients should be arranged, and even the optimum 
a resting time required to ensure that bread becomes moist enough without breaking apart. Rick said, using my mathematical background and experience as a chef, I felt qualified to come up with a formula that everybody can follow. The painstaking research led him to the conclusion that the ideal fish finger sandwich must be made, That, by the way, for Americans, that's fish sticks, must be made of two buttered soft white bread, each with half thickness of the uh, fish fingers. And once the sandwich has been left for 60 to 90 seconds before eating to steam the bread, it's perfect. Rick also runs and owns Fish Finger Sandwich Businesses, Two Fingers it's called, uh, which uh, the most common mistake in the order is when people make their uh, sandwiches. Many, after buttering the bread, place a salad garnish and sauce at the bottom slice. But according to Rick, this can lead to a disaster. When you place freshly cooked fish fingers on the top of garnish, it will instantly wilt with the heat. Well, the question also is, what are you going to put? Are you going to put the red sauce on, a little bit of tomato ketchup? Are you going to put the brown sauce, the House of the Parliament, that tangy sauce on there? Maybe a bit of both? Do you put a spot of vinegar? And how not for the posh people out there? How about a, a spoonful of the tartar sauce or caperific on top of the sandwich? That'd be absolutely fantastic. So I saw a perfect advertisement uh, when I was watching some British television in the last week here. It's a perfect British advert. And basically, um, I need to sort of practice my voiceover work here. For maybe, <clears throat> yeah. How now, brown cow? Mm -hmm. How now, brown cow? The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. All right, here I am warmed up here. So we have a smidgen of gin, a dash of tonic, and just wait for the delivery man to arrive. So again, a smidgen of gin, a dash of tonic, and just sit back and wait for the delivery man to arrive. You know, in the UK, they actually do have gin and tonic in cans. What a fabulous, uh, fabulous invention. I don't know if they have them over here. I need to find uh, in America, in Colorado here, if they have gin and tonic in a can. But that'd be perfect for me when I uh, go hiking. I like to take my croquet set with me for some high altitude croquet. And I like to take a smidgen of gin and tonic. And in a can would be absolutely perfect. It'd be absolutely fabulous, darlings. So as you, as you know, the butler does have an obsession with with face masks and face coverings and uh, and, and more probably uh, more ingenious ways of covering one's face during the pandemic. I tried the Ascot. I tried the puff pastry mask. In the, in the, in the, I feel like, you know, whilst you're protecting yourself, if you're offering yourself a little bit of sustenance as well, that's fantastic. So two men rob convenience store wearing watermelon rind disguises, police said. As disguises go, they're pretty seedy. Police in Virginia took to social media on Saturday in hopes of finding two men accused of robbing a convenience store with more watermelon rinds on their heads. Surveillance cameras at the sheet store um, caught the uh, scofflers, the burglars in the act. They uh, managed to elude authorities and thanks to their brilliant disguises. Uh, authorities arrested 20-year-old Justin Rogers in connection, which uh, police deemed the melodrama. Um, Rogers was booked with three charges of uh, um, misdemeanors, larceny of alcohol, misdemeanor possession of alcohol, an underage person. You know what, though? It would have been even worse. He could have been charged if he, if he wore cantaloupe skin instead of a watermelon. I think a cantaloupe skin uh, instead of a watermelon would, uh, would be a jailable offense. The most least popular melon on one's face would po probably be, not probably, definitely be, 
the, uh, the, 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 the cantaloupe. So um, on another little face mask uh, story of the week here, uh, man told that snake skin isn't a legitimate face covering, especially when it's still attached to the snake. A man was seen with a light brown serpent wrapped around his mouth and neck, but no one batted an eyelid. A passenger who spotted uh, the gentleman wearing a snake as a mask whilst traveling uh, on the bus has been warned it's not a legitimate face covering. The man was seen with a light brown serpent with diamond mark markings on skin wrapped around his mouth and neck on a bus from Swinton to Manchester last Monday. One passenger who was asked not to be named said at first she thought the man was wearing a funky mask before he spotted the creature slithering, slithering over the handrails. A reptile didn't seem to be bothering anybody, uh, but she found the incident really funny. Nobody batted an eyelid. But you know what? What if he was wearing like a boa constrictor? I mean, he could have been strangled, for God's sake. You know, he could have, he, he could have gone blue. I mean, it really wouldn't have worked, uh, worked out very, very well for the chap, I have to say. Now, I've been thinking about this. I always like, as I say, I like to be creative with my face mask. I think what I next I'm going to use, forget the watermelon skin, forget the snake skin. I'm going to use a rutabaga skin as a face mask. Now, those babies are tough. You couldn't drill for a rutabaga skin. I bet if you had a flamethrower and a rutabaga skin, if it's covering your face, your face would not burn at all. The skin of a rutabaga is so strong, you could use it as a skin graft, I think, for serious burns. Freddy Krueger could have a facelift using rutabaga skin. The Freddy Krueger facelift using a rutabaga skin. Um, it, it, you know, and it, I have to say, though, the most work you'd have coming up with this invention is actually peeling the bugger, peeling the rutabaga, because they're incredibly difficult. But once you get them off, it's like a knight's suit of armor, by golly. So we're all trying to get fitter during the uh, pandemic, uh, during lockdown and everything else. But people are very concerned about a woman in a Peloton, in the Peloton Christmas advertisement. At a time when the nation's characterized as divided, people finally united one front, hating the new Peloton ad. The ad, uh, which the exercise equipment released uh, on YouTube, uh, shows a fictional woman year-long selfie diary after a partner gifted a Peloton bike. The 30-second clip chronicles the already slim woman's wellness journey, which includes 6 a.m. wake-ups, working out five days in a row, and concludes with a shot of her on the couch with her partner at the end of the day, watching a selfie diary together. Uh, to tell Bachman's hit, She's So High. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me, the selfie version that the woman said on TV. Um, viewers felt that the woman's diary kind of looked like a cry for help or an excerpt from a dystopian film. Um, look, I don't want to be the Peloton ad guy anymore, but the newest commercial about the vlogging 116 pound woman's year long fitness diary to become a 112 pound woman says, I didn't realize how much it would change me. It's four bloody pounds, ladies and gentlemen, four pounds. That's all she lost. Anyway, so, um, I, you know, I, I think I... I would like Peloton to create a bike that has a basket on the front because a butler has many things, you know, a polished pair of loafers, um, maybe, uh, you know, keep the ascots in there, the bottle of starch in there. Um, I think, uh, you know, basket, a bell, very bright, garish uh, bicycle clips to go with the bright, garish socks pulled up to the knee. Um, and I, I think for Christmas, though, you could add a tray between the handlebars on the Peloton so you can eat your Christmas dinner 
and get your sustenance whilst burning calories. Genius, genius, genius. It might be a little bit messy though with the cranberry sauce and the gravy slopping around whilst pedaling. It'll be a very sloppy ride to say the least. Yes, so we have our enigmatic English eccentrics. Today we have Lieutenant Commander Bill Bokes. Uh, one of our favorite eccentrics in history is Lieutenant Commander Bill Bokes, 1904 to 86, a comically obsessive road safety campaigner and politician. The Royal Navy man, uh, Bokes, returned to a civilian life in 1945 to need to find a new foe to fight and found it in the rise of the motor car. He was soon out canvassing on behalf of the Admiral, uh, Association of Democratic uh, Monarchists independently representing all ladies, party of which he was a sole member. Bokes' aim was to cause traffic chaos and citizens spontaneously gave up their cars and began travelling by bus or helicopter instead. Landing pads for which instituted need to be installed in every city. To this end, Bokes took up building up traffic by repeatedly walking up and down uh, zebra crossings, uh, wheeling a pram full of bricks or sitting in the middle of the A40 in a deck chair reading the Daily Telegraph. Ironically, Bokes' death in 1986 was a result of injuries sustained by a traffic accident. He fell off the bus and banged his head. Another enigmatic English eccentric next week. So something that I did briefly look at but didn't read are the uh, Jack Guinness on the seven beauty products every man needs. Now, just look at this visage. See it? I'm just sort of doing a Madonna voguing here. Uh, winking and shaking my head at the microphone right now. It's, you know, perfect here. Uh, you know, a, an undoubtable chin, uh, a, a Romanesque nose. Well, it's more like a, a shark's fin nose, probably. Um, but anyway, I think the only thing, and I've been thinking about this in the week, and it's something I may launch for the autumn. Very important in the autumn to have this item in one's fridge. Duck fat. Now, I think you could get duck fat collagen, um, I mean, you could, uh, I mean, if you want to get a, a beautiful tan, uh, rub the duck fat all over one's uh, torso. Uh, but I think the duck fat collagen, I'm going to get it pumped into my lips and forehead um, to, to stop all the aging. And you know what? You could crisp me up in the oven and I'll be great with some roasted potatoes after that, I think. Hello there. We got some skellywag darts. Yes, so we take the most heinous crimes of the week, headline crimes of the week, and uh, we look at them and equate them to a game of darts. So we have our missing a board, our triple 20, our um, bullseye and chirpy special prize. So this week, I think missing the board, we have woman cleans boyfriend's grim pillows after finding out that he hasn't washed them in 10 years. So basically, they, they, she took all of his... Uh, all of his stained pillows and uh, bung them in, uh, basically bung them in the washing machine, uh, put them in a bath of bleach um, and uh, got all the dirt in them and they look sparkling white, absolutely brand new sparkling white, absolutely delicious. Um, so that's, our, that's, that's definitely uh, missing the board this week here. Um, workers discover giant rat during the clearance of an underground drainage system. That's our triple 20. I was very impressed with this article until I found out that the uh, the rat was basically uh, part of a Halloween costume and act. It wasn't real. It was six foot long. It was in the sewer. It stank. 
it looked real, it looked like a drowned rat, but it wasn't a real rat. So that's our triple 20 for this week. Um, and then we have our, uh, probably our, probably our bullseye of the week here is a chipmunk bandit robs pharmacy at gunpoint and makes off with a bag of drugs. A pistol-wielding rodent also stole the shop worker's mobile phone, but took pity on her and said a uh, picture of the grandchildren, so he handed it back. So it's a chipmunk robber with a heart, ladies and mantelpieces. And that's our uh, Chappie's Bullseye of the Week. Um, but our, um, you know what? I think we've got our, uh, we've, we have got our, uh, our Chappie's special prize. Factory caught washing, recycling and selling over 300,000 used condoms. A factory in Vietnam has been busted for washing and recycling thousands and thousands of used condoms after selling them unto unsuspecting customers. Uh, police swooped on an apartment in the south of the country and found 300,000 unlabeled unpackaged condoms. The owner of the illicit factory, Farm T. Shan, said he washed them and dried them and hung them up on the line, maybe with clothes pegs on them, uh, before remolding them on a wooden dildo. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our... Uh, that's definitely, without a doubt, Chappie's special prize. So uh, here's one that didn't quite make it this week. Um, German cities expected to follow Munich's mask rule. Munich has become the first German city to make mask wearing mandatory outdoors with the rise of the coronavirus infections. The Bavarian government ordered local authorities to curb alcohol consumption in public, closed restaurants early and forced more mask wearing. The measures are the toughest in Germany since May, since the start of the lockdown when Angela Merkel uh, invited 16 state governors to a coronavirus uh, summit here. Um, this, I mean, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the concerns is um, if they're going to be able to have any sort uh, of Oktoberfest this year. But I think I have the solution. I'm willing to, s to sell this to the Germans as a, as a solution for having Oktoberfest this year. They better get it going quickly, though. I'm thinking that if one uses the Yard of Ale, a Yard of Ale, uh, you know, so the, the glass font, the, uh, uh, the, the you know, the, 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 basically the glass hose as, as, a, as a yardstick attached to a securely to a surgical mask we could still enjoy Oktoberfest so you take the yardstick the yard of ale or the beer bong whatever you want to call it attach it to a surgical mask so you've got basically a little bit of hose on the end there so you can still suck up the goodness of the beer we could still enjoy Oktoberfest frows and frauleins um, I, I think it's a solution here you could also you know because I think lederhosen are some of the dirtiest sorts of attire that one could ever wear you know there's all sorts of germs on lederhosen who knows what happens when you're wearing lederhosen but you could take and smother the lederhosen in all sorts of uh, hand sanitizing gel so rub in rub into the lederhosen the, uh, the all the hand sanitizer that you can get maybe some fragrant ones with some there's some sweaty lederhosen over there make it smell a little bit better and then get the surgical mask with a beer bong, with a yard of ale attached to a hose pipe going into the mask so you're not breathing it in, all you're doing is sucking up the amber nectar goodness of the Oktoberfest beer. Yummy, yummy, mummy. All right, so leading into our little game of historical Tinder, uh, we've got this little piece here. 
heart patients should not worry about getting frisky. For those of a certain age, sex has always been a frisson of danger. Scurrilous rumours, probably untrue, alleged that the octogenarian Lord Palmerston died mid-Congress with a maid on the billiards table. The good news is that scientists have shown that people who have suffered heart problems need not fear a return to an active sex life. They said that cautionary tales such as the French cardinal who died in 1774 performing charitable work in a brothel risks needlessly impinging on the pleasure of people who may even benefit from sex. It's very clear that being sexually active is an important part of the well-being and rehabilitation, said Yarev Gerber of Tel Aviv University. Resumption of sexual activity soon after heart attack may well be uh, one's perception as a healthy, functioning, young and energetic person. This may lead to a healthier lifestyle. Uh, they also found that those who resume sex quickly maintaining it to be at a similar level before that of the heart attack were third more likely to be alive at the end of the study the link even remained uh, and often accounting for those such as socioeconomic statuses exercise and obesity it is impossible to say whether having sex itself led to the survival improvement it may be that people in stronger marriages are better able to survive perhaps because the partner supports them in doing cancer screens and doctor appointments but the 2015 German cardiologist found no evidence that sex raised the long-term likelihood of a heart attacks in those who are at risk. They said there should be no surprise that the exercise component of sexual intercourse is merely comparable to taking a brisk walk. I guess it all depends how vigorous things are going for you. Well, you know, a little, a little chewing of a little bit of ginger whilst you do it perks up all sorts of activities i have to say um so there we go so is is leading it is leading into basically our um our little game of historical tinder here so we've got our little game of uh, historical tinder and um we, we we've got the scandal of uh, lusty lord palmerston here lusty lord palmerston um scandal of lusty lord palmerston who was hated by queen victoria fans of victoria already coming across uh uh, and hating lusty Lord Palmerson. Um, the monarch and the politician initially clashed over their different ideas about Europe, um, about his policies, and led to Victoria detesting Palmerston, but it's also his womanizing that she hated as well. Um, it's scandal-filled love life that captured the public's imagination. And it seems that even being in the presence of royalty couldn't curb his sexual appetite. On one visit to Windsor Castle in 1839, Palmerston is said to have crept into the bedroom of one of the Queen Victoria's ladies-in-waiting. Then aged 55, the woman uh, he was lusting after was 22-year-old Susan Brand. Palmerston claimed he uh, walked into the bedroom by accident, uh, plausible in a huge palace, of course. But it doesn't ring entirely true uh, when he dragged the furniture to barricade the door and tried to force himself upon Susan. Uh, following the incident, Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, said he would not have consummated his fiendish scheme by violence and not the miraculous efforts of the victim. And such assistance uh, basically led to her um, telling him to stop and uh, pull his trousers up. Um, but apparently, um, age 78, he came embroiled in a scandalous divorce brought on by journalist Thaddeus O'Kane. He is accused of having an affair with Mrs. O'Kane, which he denied. What a dirty, what a dirty rascal. Um, but the scandal actually did boost uh, Palmerton's popularity with a popular cry in the music hall. She may be Kane, but is she able? <laughs> 
Even his death was tainted by a sexual scandal. It was rumoured that Lord Palmerston died when he was trying to seduce a maid on the billiard table at Brockett Hall, um, although the official line that he died from a chill, a chill in his will, or his willy, I guess, in this case. Um, so do you, do you think that Palmerston, when he's on the ball table here, you know, a lot of these uh, professional snooker player and pool players like call their shots, basically, saying uh, uh, black ball, side pocket, or, uh, or uh, purple ball, centre pocket. I wonder if he causes causes pool shots, Palmerston. Like when he's playing a pool, you know, do, do, is it the pink ball slapping uh, the centre pocket, or uh, or uh, or maybe uh, or maybe the purple-headed cue thrusting towards the centre pocket, or uh, maybe even uh, blue balls uh, missing all of the pockets. Um, anyway, so that's our uh, little contestant here on our uh, on our on our Tinder game uh, this uh, this week. Um, and I, I have to say, I mean, we, we, obviously we always try to uh, we always try to be, get a sense of, um, you know, basically, you know, is it missing? The, is, it, is, it, is he missing? The, is he is he is he basically act swinging and decapitating him? You know, obviously, obviously in this case, you know, he's a bit one of these. He's a little bit of a Parker without a Bobby. We know we didn't have any, you know, there was no fighting or uh, even skull skull crushing here. You know, skull crushing. Yeah, I think uh, 80 years old on the pool table. You know, that's what he heard uh, when he approached the pool table, um, and then uh, and then possibly that. Uh, uh, so that's uh, that's Lord Palmerston, the uh, naughty, slightly horny pervert of a politician. So we're finishing with another fireside butler ghost story. And this is coming from St. Nicholas's Church in Cordudan in Essex in England. The church tower built by Henry V to celebrate his victory at Agincourt rises majestically above a bleak expanse of wide open countryside. The churchyard with its scattered leaning gravestones and dense vegetation possesses a strangely subdued atmosphere. It is haunted by an old hag who was long ago executed for witchcraft and is now returns on Halloween, much to the consternation of the Essex Constabulary, who cooled an off surrounding roads to prevent the hordes of ghost hunters who have been known to make pilgrimages on the night of nights. Canudon was once renowned for its witches and any woman seeking membership of the Sisterhood of Sinistrous must dance around the church 12 times at midnight whereupon the devil would appear and perform the necessary initiation. So anyway, that edition of the podcast was certainly uh, packed to the rafters today, uh, which is lots and lots and lots of little goodies for you lovely, lovely people out there. Um, again, thank you for listening. At Keep Cheese um, on Twitter. Uh, you'll find me there. All the editions of the podcast across um, is now on Amazon Music, so I heard, um, but also on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, across all the different platforms here. So we're going to finish a um, little bit of an autumnal poem. I think the next three or four weeks we're going to uh, be uh, covering uh, classic autumn poems, but this is a classic John Keats poem. Seasons of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him how to load and bless 
with fruit of the vines that round the thatch eaves run, to bend with apples the mossed cottage trees, and fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells, with a sweet kernel to set budding more, and still more, flowers for the bees, until they think warm days will never cease, for summer has brimmed over their clammy cells. Where are the songs of spring? Aye, where are they? Think not of them, thou hast thy music too, while bared clouds bloom the soft dying day, and tough the stubble plains with rosy hue. Then in a wayful choir the small gnats mourn among the river shallows borne aloft, or sinking as the light wind leaves or dies, and the full-grown lambs loud bleat with hilly born, hedge crickets sing, and now with treble soft. The red breast whistles from the garden croft and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. Thank you for joining the podcast. Cheerio, one and all. Have a lovely week and join me in this whimsical little portal next week.